Hey, you busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. Have you ever looked at someone's life and was like, I have no idea how you are getting through your situation, either pr- prior or current, and having uh, just what looks like an angelic experience, like you do not look like what you've gone through? Or have you been in the midst of something and you're like, honestly, I know from the outside it looks terrible, but for whatever the reason, it doesn't feel as terrible as it looks. I can't explain it, can't put my finger on it. Just, I, I mean, I don't want to be super duper spiritual and do the, you know, what God has his hand on me type of thing. But what I can honestly is just say is that I am not entrenched by the storms that are in my life right now. I am not being you know, it's not a tsunami experience. I'm not being consumed by the things that's happening. There is, for some reason, it just feels like I'm living life from the inside out. And that's exactly what we all should be aspiring to. Let me explain something to you. We One thing's for certain. We're all going to go through storms, right? That's I'm doing the bunny air quotes right now with my fingers storms which is situations that were either unexpected or expected but there's an element of "Mm, okay didn't see that coming okay great and we all have this beautiful option called choice you get to choose how you go through something but you know what else you get to choose You get to choose what you are filled with. So anytime that I think about storms and all of that, you know you got to go back to OG Jesus, right? You got to go back to Mark 4. You can't talk about a storm. Listen, you can't talk about a storm and not talk about Jesus. You have a nice day if you thought that. Okay, great. But I want to just jump right into it and show you exactly what I'm talking about. So I went to Mark 4, and you know I read from the NLT version. And this was the time that, you know, Jesus was preaching to all of the peoples, right? And then he was like, okay, listen, it's time to go ahead and get going. So let's read Mark 4, but I want to start at verse 35. It literally says in the NLT version, the little title, it says, Jesus calms the storm. So you know it's about to get juicy. So listen. So 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. 36. So they took Jesus in a boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. 37. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silent, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. 40. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. <laughs> Who is this man? Uh, that was your question? Other versions of the Bible, King James Version to be exact, said that Jesus said, peace be still. But I want to go ahead and bring your attention to something. I always said Jesus was able to calm the storm because Jesus had calm inside of him. 
He was able to direct the storm to be peaceful because Jesus had peace in him. It's amazing to me that what is in you illustrates your response. It is amazing to me that your internal directs your external view on a thing. Jesus was peaceful in the boat. So when he woke up and saw chaos, he was like, "Mm -mm. I don't do chaos. Peace be still. How am I able to sleep at the bottom of this boat on a cushion? I hear what's going on, but I have faith in the inside. So I'm not tuned in to the elements of what's going on outside of me. So when you wake me up with your chaoticness and you say, listen, you don't see that the boat, I look and I go, "Mm -mm. I'm going to create the same environment that is within me. I'm going to recreate that externally. You know how I really understood that on a whole different level? The very last verse says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. So let me read that again. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Let's scoot up a little again. Hold on. Didn't it say that the disciples woke him up frantic? Literally, it says at the end of verse 38, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So again, they were filled with what? Fear, terror, right? And so they woke Jesus up frantically, afraid, terrified, right? And even after Jesus calmed the winds and the waves and was like, shh, I don't do chaos. (laughs) Calm down real quick. Even their response to calm was that they were absolutely terrified. Now let that sink in. Do you know of a person that no matter how much great advice you give, no matter, oh, I heard a good word real quick in church. You know what? I was listening to this particular podcast. Matter of fact, I saw something on YouTube and they can get filled with all this information, but it never seems to really implant and seed and deep root into their soil of their soul. That whatever they hear is almost like it always gets uprooted by what they feel, by what they see. How is it? That it was the disciples being fearful in the boat, fearful while waking Jesus up, and even absolutely terrified once Jesus calmed it. It almost seems like the disciples already made the decision that no matter what I see, no matter how it's resolved, my response is always going to be fear. That the doctor can give you bad news. It can go ahead and get better. And then they can say, you know what? What we actually found is a way to resolve that. Or matter of fact, a miracle. Don't even know what happened. It's not there anymore. So you were fearful when you when you thought it was something. It was You were fearful when you got the diagnosis. And then once they went ahead and said, okay, you clear and free. Now you're fearful that it may come back. You never know. Because, you know, statistically they said that, you know, usually it resurfaces. Wow. So you've just decided to hold on to that fear, huh? That you were fearful that you may not find anyone to be in a relationship with. And then you were fearful once you got in that relationship that it may be too good to be true. And that once you got ahead and got to a different level in that relationship, you were still fearful because, you know, it may not last. Because, you know, people in in, um, these days and times or at this particular juncture or in second marriages, you know, statistics say. And you're so, it's like, did you choose 
to put the thermostat of your emotional capacity and your emotional external response to things? Did you choose to have it on frantic mode at all times? Did you choose to put it in terrified mode at all times? So you fearful when, you know, I may not ever get pregnant. I don't know. You know, I really want kids. And then, oh, it happens. And she don't tell nobody until the third trimester because, you know, that's the most important. And then, okay, you know what? Then you have the baby. And, you know, but we got to wait because you never know. You know, such and such, that particular ailment runs in your family. It's like, oh, my gosh. When are you going to take off the lens of frantic, of fear, of just always looking at something like it may not last? It may not. Who taught you that? And so I wanted to go ahead and just kind of coin the term, peace be filled. Peace be filled. Jesus said, peace be still. But I think a lot of us would really, really optimize off of being filled with peace. You know, I look at some of the greats in the Bible and I'm like, how did you respond in that way? knowing what was being asked of you like Abraham real quick can I can I ask you something yeah come here sir you busy okay can you come okay listen when God said to you go ahead and sacrifice your son and you didn't even I'm talking about didn't even sweat a near uh bead of sweat how did you do that knowing that you had to tell this boy come on let's go ahead and get this wood real quick tell this mother we getting ready to go take him tell your servants or whatever yeah y'all can help me but when we get to a certain place in the mountain I want you to stay right here and you knew the whole time through I'm getting ready to sacrifice this boy how did you do that and not even feel the inkling to look back at God and complain a little bit to be human enough to say, God, you know what, out of all the sons, I mean, like, seriously, you already told me to put Hagar to the side, and she got, you know, Ishmael, and so I don't have a kid over there, and so, like, you're going to take Isaac? I'm already old. Why did, you, why did you give me a kid anyway if you was going to take him away? You didn't do any of that, Abraham. You totally was like, cool, making my way downtown so we can go sacrifice Isaac. Mm-mm-mm. Bring some wood. Mm-mm. Oh, a ramp. Who knew? Who knew a ram was going to be in the bush? Like you really just you were calm the whole way through and you had no idea that there was a ram in the bush. How? How how did you do that? Joseph, how was it that you went ahead and you journeyed from the pit and the betrayal of your brothers? Although I'm talking about from the prison and all the all the way to the palace. And you did not even one time just have it locked up and won't let me out. No, like you didn't do Akon at all, sir. How were you able to do that and still at the end see your brothers and hug them and say, you know what? <laughs> you meant it for my bad, but God meant it for my good. How, Joseph? Hmm. How were you able to do that, sir? Esther, real quick. Come here. Let me talk to you. You, you. Can you put that down real quick? Yeah. Come here real quick. When you knew, uh, listen, the king did not summons anybody to come into his uh, sector. Okay, great. And if I go in there, he may just kill me, sir. So yeah, Mordecai real quick. Um, 
listen, I love you, uncle, um, but I can't go in there to that man real quick because if that man's not in a good mood, he finna kill me, sir, and um, reboot that name of Jesus, but I don't really want to, um, yeah, not today, don't look like a good day. Like, how are you able to be like, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to go back. Mordecai, my uncle, told me to go ahead and do some stuff on behalf of my people. If God gave me this particular position to go ahead and do some things great for my people to elevate us to the next level, to save us to the next generation, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back, I'm going to tell my people to pray, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to march boldly into that throne, and I'm going to say, hey, real quick, King, I need to talk to you, sir. How? And what came to my mind was they had to be filled with something. Just like Jesus was filled with peace, he was able to speak to the storm. What were those three people filled with? That it was like, oh, my goodness. You are responding in a non-human way. And the Holy Spirit brought to my attention. I'm talking about immediately. It was like a no-brainer. Holy Spirit was like, real quick, let's go back to Abraham. Um, You know why he was able to do a God thing and not even flinch because he's seen God. You remember when God sent his messengers down to go ahead and just do a little quick inventory of Sodom and Gomorrah and on their way passing through, they passed by Abraham and Abraham was like, real quick, um, if there's 20 saved in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you save it? They were like, "Mm mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, probably too high. What about 10? 10. And they were like, yeah, if you can find 10 that's uh, godly in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll save it. Probably too high again. What about five? Okay, it, it seemed like Abraham was low key, like one of the one of the one of the marketer dudes. Like, yeah, you were really trying to see what number in you know do I have a five? Do I have a twenty? Twenty? Do I have four? Do I have four? Blah, blah, blah. So, like, you were trying to do one of those. What were you trying to do, Abraham? You you were what you were speaking on behalf of the people, but the fact that Abraham was communing with God in that way, and it didn't even flinch. He didn't even feel like, oh my gosh, let me bow down because everybody else that came in to some type of something with the Lord it was almost like he had to say listen fear not it's me big dog like you you don't have to be afraid it's me he didn't have to have that conversation with with Abraham Abraham is the first person that when it came to God and communing with him in that way even through his messengers he was like hey Sarah real quick let's make him a meal so something about doing the God thing or being in a God presence Abraham wasn't foreign to So I believe in my heart and I just want to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that when God told Abraham to do a thing, it was just like he didn't even second guess it because he was familiar with God's voice. He was familiar with the presence of God. And if God said that I'm going to have a child at an old age, then it is what it is. If God said, hey, real quick, I'm getting ready to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I said, hey, and I can convince God to come and eat at my house. Because when he was talking to those messengers, they was like, no, listen, got to go. And he was like, no, I insist. Please come back to my home and eat real quick before y'all go to Sodom and Gomorrah. There is something about a man that can insist. Like, listen, I got to be in the presence of God. I got to do a godly thing for a for in this godly presence there's something about that type of posture that it's like man what are you filled with that you can go ahead and do a godly thing and it just looks like you know what this is just a normal tuesday wow even looking at joseph so what were you holding on to that it held you that whatever fruit that you ate in the beginning held you all the way to the palace and it was because god gave him a dream He literally told his brothers at 17, 
y'all y'all gonna serve me god gave me a dream he, he yeah he showed me that um yeah i saw these seven things and he went ahead and told them all the details of his dream and it's like that dream had to be so potent it wasn't those dreams that you dream it while you dream it and you wake up and you like i forgot i had that dream or you go along the journey and you like you know what now that i we just did this particular transaction. I remember I had a dream two nights ago. No, it wasn't one of those, you know, mediocre dreams. It was one of those motion pictures. The dream was so real, so potent that you like, I will never forget this. God's, God literally told me something. And I'm. It, it's so potent that I want to share it with people. And even if they don't share in this particular dream, I got to share it with somebody because, oh, my goodness, the way that I dreamt this thing, it got to be, it got to come true because it came from God. He was holding on to the dream that God gave him but that dream was so potent that it took him from the pit to pit to the palace that dream held him on for years you ever dreamt something in your life that whatever you tried to do you couldn't bury it you couldn't shake it because God was like I put that thing in you a long time ago and I put that seed and I put that thought and I put that posture in you so long ago that it still stands true to this day that I don't care how many times you try to go ahead and shake it off or try to you know what maybe I would maybe I miscalculated maybe you know let me go ahead and recalculate God is like nope I put that in you so when Ever you get to another stage in your life, whenever somebody else comes along and tries to forget about you, like the way that the chefs and all those did with, with Joseph, you will remember the promise that I gave you because I'm going to show you people don't keep their promises, but I do. With Esther, she was filled with a purpose. She didn't have rich beginnings. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, you know, she comes from the palace. And no, 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 she was an orphan. Okay, she uh, her uncle raised her. And so if her uncle said, listen, I need you to do something on behalf of my people. I'm sure she was filled with the tenacity of I could have been anywhere in the world, but I had an uncle who cared for me. I had a God fearing uncle that cared for me, that got me to this position, that got me to the place that I'm even in a palace. Nobody in my bloodline yet has seen the palace. And so if the if the person who was raising me, if me being under his leadership got me to the palace, then I would do whatever this man says so that I can save a generation to come. That woman was filled with purpose. And it was amazing to me, again, because when I was reading about Saul, real quick, it was amazing to me that God was able to go ahead and put fish scales on this man's eyes Go ahead and tell them, listen, why are you forsaking me? And not nothing in that transaction looked like Saul was complaining about his situation or, you know, the fact that he couldn't see and, you know, what is this that you're doing to me? It was none of the above. It was, okay, you know what? As a matter of fact, if you go back and read Acts 9, where all that happened, you would be like, Saul didn't even give no pushback before he became Paul. No, he did not. He definitely didn't. And it was because I believe that even prior to him being filled with Christ and when he was filled with Christ, Paul was filled with something. He was filled with passion. He was filled with tenacity. It was, listen, when he was passionate about killing Christians, he was passionate about that. And then when God went ahead and changed his operating system, he got passionate about saving Christians. He got passionate about making Christians. He got passionate about doing Christ's work. 
And so I looked at all that and I was like, man, those are mighty fine examples. But you know, I always got to give us a flip, you know, a reversal kind of situation, right? I wanted to see what happens when we're empty, when we're not filled with anything. And we're just doing stuff and to just be doing it, which just becomes mundane. We just, you know, going to work just to go to work. You know, we just, we paying tithes just to pay tithes. So, you know, we just praying, Lord, lay me down to sleep. We just praying to be praying. It's just become a routine. It's whatever. But there is a danger in that. I want to read to you real quick the story of Elisha. Oh, Elijah, rather. Oh, my goodness. Elijah was a powerful prophet. Yeah, I'm listen, you go ahead and read you some kings. This man was powerful, but I want to show you when power runs out, what happens. So let's read first Kings 19 from the first chapter. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Two. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Three, Elisha was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Four, then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Five. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. Six. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Seven. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead would be too much for you. Eight, so he got up and drank. Or his, I'm sorry, so he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Nine, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. Hmm. Now let me tell you something about Elijah if you don't know about him. This man was able to call on fire from heaven kill over 400 prophets of Baal have them all just listen he was doing some things that it was like oh my gosh he was doing some stuff that was like listen uh we gonna go ahead and do some supernatural stuff he was doing things that undocumented I'm not gonna spoil alert it but he was doing things that was like you know what honestly I know God has no favors but I think Elijah may just be one of them because the stuff that this man is doing is amazing and so when Ahab went home and told Jezebel all that I had and she was like, oh, so you killing the prophets real quick? Guess what I'm getting ready to do to you, sir? I'm getting ready to do the same. So you saw a man that was moving in power, acting in power, doing powerful things, but he was not filled with power. There was something about when Jezebel went ahead and said, this is what I'm going to do to you, that it exposed the very elements that were inside of him. Physical emptiness spiritual emptiness always leads to emotional strain always how is it that this man was able to combat over 400 prophets of Baal 
How is it that this man was able to do some, I'm talking about some astronomical things to the point that when Ahab got home, he was like, look, let me tell you about what old boy just did. How is it that he was able to do all that, but yet the moment that Jezebel spoke, it really triggered and revealed that man is empty inside. You ever had it where somebody looked powerful and, and, and they look strong and they, and they look like, you know what, they can, they can pretty much take anything. They're Teflon, they're you know, the strongest person that you know. And then something minuscule in your view may have happened in their life. And you're like, that person crumbled faster than a Pringle. What happened? It's like a bag of Lay's potato chips. Like, what just happened? It's like, well, I'm sorry. I would have never thought that somebody who was able to illustrate the silhouette of such power was crumbling at things that look like it was minute, like it's not really that serious. And that is because when something is just being done as a routine or done as a showmanship or done just because, you know, this is this just looks like the thing to do, but there's no real power behind it, there will be a brittleness there. There will be a brittleness there. And that's why when he went to God and was like, I can't do this no more. Just let me go ahead and die. He was like, listen, let me go ahead and feed you. Because he saw that he was physically empty. Let me, okay, you're going to go rest. I'll let you rest for a little bit. Then I'm going to tap you on your shoulder and say, hey, buddy, go ahead and get up and eat again. Because you need everything that's going to fuel you for this next journey ahead. That you're going to have a couple of days that you really are going to need to have everything you need filled to the brim. That's why it is so astonishing. And just I'm talking about hats off to Jesus that he was able to eat nothing and go into the wilderness and be tested for 40 days and 40 nights. Doesn't that make you look at Jesus differently? Like, oh my gosh, you were physically starved. But the reason why you were able to go through that is because you were spiritually filled. That as soon as the wilderness was over and the testing was over with Jesus, the Bible says that the angels came and ministered to him. It doesn't say the angels brought him food. It doesn't say the angels was like, okay, listen, let me just take you back to the Jordan River and let you just shrink a couple of things from the spring. It said the angels came and ministered to him. So that goes to show you that if you are not spiritually filled, you will always be physically and emotionally brittle. Do you understand that? That the elements are prey. You eat, you rest. We get it confused. Sometimes we think we're running out of fumes because we're so tired. And you're like, well, I didn't really do that much today. And you're trying to figure out, you know, why are you emotionally just trained? And what is going on? And why do you feel like you ran a tri-marathon in the spirit? Like, what is going on? I want you to go back and check your spiritual thermostat and say, when's the last time you refilled with God? When's the last time that you really communed with the spirit? When's the last time that you really sat down and meditated and read a word and just really ate from the bread of the word and let that satisfy you for the journey? ahead when's the last time you've done that when's the last time you've done that that even from the illustration of Elijah that you have to understand you still need the courtness and instructions from God that God's instructions provide you strength because listen on his own after Elijah was like, I can't do this, go ahead and just let me die, whatever. And he had that temper tantrum. Um, verse five says, Then he lay down and went to sleep under the broom tree. So we know how to rest. But then it goes on to say that, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Sometimes we don't know what we need to eat. Sometimes we don't know when to eat. Sometimes we don't know how much we need to eat. And all of those instructions are pertinent to the pivotal points that God has taken us. 
you may eat too much. You may be eating too little. You may be sleeping too much. You may be sleeping too little. And the angel had to go ahead and tell him several times. One, he had to tell him, get up and eat. So he looked around and was like, oh, okay, let me eat. And he went back to sleep. And then a, verse 7 says, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he went ahead and he ate again. And so it gave him strength for 40 days. We don't know how much we need to eat. We don't know how long God is going to have us on the road in the journey that we're in. We don't know. And that is why the God instructions are so important. We cannot afford to miss out on God time. Even if we come to him complaining, even if we come to him brittle and say, listen, it's so much against me. God, I feel so heavy. I don't know. And you start off praying and you're like, God, I just know. And you fall asleep. At least have decency enough and be spiritual connected enough that you know, I still need your instruction. The one thing that I can give Elisha or Elijah is that he went to God even if he went to him brittle formed. He went to him and said, this is too much for me. And he went to sleep and God was like, cool, now that you've let me know where you're at, I can feel you for where you're going. That in itself is powerful. Peace be filled. But in order to get there, you need to know the coordinates of God at all times. So that made me kind of figure out, man, there's elements to being peaceful. There's elements to being a storm trooper, as I like to say. There are elements to God. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. There's elements to that. And the first one that I started to realize um, with Elijah didn't go ahead and identify is that you cannot let external things get into your internal being. You have to mimic Jesus. Do like Abraham. Do like Joseph. Do like Esther and say, I see what I'm up against. But I am so filled with purpose, so filled with passion, so filled with what God promised to me. I remember the promises. I've been repeating my affirmations. I read that word that time, and I'm not, I know that the Bible says that God will finish his word. What he started in me, he will finish. And I ate enough of this word to go ahead and last me until God shows me it. You literally need to go ahead and have whatever armor you need to remember. These external coordinates are not my final destiny destination you truly need to identify that that you need to even if you have to go back to God and say remind me of my purpose please can, can Holy Spirit can you remind me because you're the comforter and you guide me and you comfort me and you do all the things that is literally a spiritual tutor on earth can you remind me of why I'm doing a thing because when you are fueled by the spirit you can do anything and that's why the Bible says in Galatians 5, the fruits of the spirit. So you know how I look at the fruits of the spirit, the love, peace, long suffering, kindness, you know, self-control, all those amazing things. I look at that as a uh, the tablets of what we need on earth and the spiritual realm that sometimes you got to open up the spiritual medicine cabinet. You like today, I need self-control. Today, I need self-control not to let these external environments and external exposures get into my internal being. Today, I'm going to need patience. Today, I'm going to need love. Today, I'm going to need long-suffering. Today, I'm going to need kindness. And you look into your spiritual medicine cabinet and say, yeah, let me go ahead and take one of these. Because if not, I will sound a lot like Elijah and let these external things break me to the point that all I can do effectively is complain and sleep. That I go to work and I come home and I'm tired. That that I, I'm the only time I'm spending with my spouse or my significant other is just complaining about what I'm not happy about. 
that when I do get time away from the kids, I'm talking about the kids and I'm complaining about the things. And it's like, you don't want it to look like the only thing you do well is complain and sleep. Don't be Elisha. Do not be Elisha. Do you understand that? Peace be filled. So my challenge to you today is to mimic your big bro, Jesus. To be filled with the very thing internally that you want to see externally. You want to see richness and wealth in your bloodline and your family? Then I need you to go ahead and start filling yourself up. with. listen, debt will be no longer when it comes to my family. I'm going to really just brush up on uh, financial wisdom and principles that the Bible said. I'm going to look up Dave Ramsey, some of the people who follow the godly principles. I'm going to do the things that need to be done so that I can start feeling wealthy in the inside and getting this vision in my being so that I can start seeing and manifesting this thing externally. Whatever you don't like, whatever you say, you know what, I'm not accepting this external circumstance. I need you to first get it into your eternal being. It may be peace be filled. It may be whatever it is, you know, whatever the fruit of the spirit is, it may be love be filled. It may be self-control be filled. Whatever it is, be filled with that particular fruit of the spirit and then go and listen to the instructions of God so that you can finally get the coordinates to where God wants you to be. Don't you dare take after Elijah and don't you dare take after the disciples that even after God tells them the thing, they still are stuck. Because what I didn't read to you is that the next couple of verses in 1 Kings 19, let's go ahead and read it real quick. So when it ends in that first portion in 9 where it says, um, let's see, so he got up and ate. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then verse 9, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. The very next verse says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And then God did these amazing things and did the earthquake and did all these different things. And you know what I read? I had to really pay attention to that. I read that even when God was doing something amazing to Elijah, he never left the cave. He never left the cave. God said, come to the edge of the cage. Oh, or the cave, rather. See, I'm saying cage because in my mind I'm saying, oh, my goodness. He was held in captivity to his own fears, to his own external prisons, that he couldn't even come out of a cave to do God's work, to do a God thing, to see God do a miracle. And I believe in my heart that that's why God couldn't use Elisha no more. He went ahead and anointed Elisha. That it, it makes me feel some kind of way that even with the disciples being in a, in a boat with a peaceful Jesus, they were still just terrified and filled with terror and fear. How is that possible? And it's because some people won't let go of their prisons. Some people will see the key understand the shackles are off and still keep the posture of a prisoner. 
how I don't understand I don't never want to get into that mindset but that's why I wanted to bring to your attention the Abrahams the Josephs the the Essers the Sauls before he came Paul just there are people that see a God thing and they are so filled that it's like I would do it and it's like man you look inhuman but what it really is is they're operating on a spiritual realm and we're operating in our feelings and emotions half the time my challenge to you is to be filled with something different just be filled with something different you've been human long enough do something different you've been scared long enough do something different what will happen if you actually started doing a God thing? What will happen if you actually started operating in a spiritual realm in an earthly place? What will happen if all of a sudden you said, yeah, I see the fear, but I'm going to be filled with peace. What will happen? <laughs> hmm. But I feel like you got what you needed. Nope, because I was going to say something else, but I'm like, nope, like, let the Holy Spirit go ahead and lead you to where you need to be led to. I know that you got what you needed. You know what these conversations are. They are life-provoking conversations, conversations that not everyone's going to have with you, and conversations that once you do have it with me, you're like, I hear you, but for some reason I hear it, God. And that's because these situations are anointed. You know the Bible says where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. So you know that these conversations are never going to just be surfaced, that it's going to get to the core of your soul, and it's going to plant something that you've probably been wrestling with for some time. But after this, you will bear fruit if you so choose to. You understand? Okay. But I'm going to go ahead and let you let me go. I do feel, honestly, I'm not going to hold you. I do feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say something else to you. But listen to me. If he told you to do something, don't you dare just put it away as an afterthought. If he put you in the courtness of doing something, be brave enough and wise enough to go follow those courtness out because you never know what's at the end or the midst of those courtness. You may find your biggest blessings in the midst of your biggest leap of obedience. Do you understand that? Okay, so I'm going to get out the way. I'm going to let you let me go. We'll talk later, okay? All right, later.